Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Tonight we want to take a look at faith. And faith is taking God at His word. We could uh, also give another title to this uh, particular message tonight. We could call it Geritol, Diapers, and the Word of God. Now some of you remember what Geritol is. Maybe you didn't take it, or maybe you're still taking it. I don't know. But... uh, you remember what it is? I don't think I've, I've ever seen it advertised anymore. I think they still sell it. I'm not sure. But usually it was a product associated with old age. Do you have iron, poor, tired blood? That's a question they'd always ask. Well, just make sure you take your Geritol. Well... In our study of Romans, it brings us to Paul's reference to Abraham's faith in regard to the promise that was given to him in their so-called golden years. He and his wife, Sarah, still hadn't had a child, but as we've watched the progression of Abraham's faith, one cannot help but be amazed at this man's love for God and of his faith in the Lord. It's no wonder that Paul uses Abraham as the supreme example to prove that salvation comes simply because of faith. Now we're looking at uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. It says, Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. (coughs) Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. To whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. These last few verses of chapter 4 teach us the truth that we cannot depend upon keeping the law to save ourselves. We cannot depend upon our good works to save us. We cannot depend on anything external to save our souls. And Paul's point here, as it has been throughout this chapter, is that salvation is produced purely by faith. Now in an effort to teach us how faith works, Paul is going to recall one of the greatest miracles of the entire Bible. And I'm referring to the birth of Isaac. Now what makes... Isaac's birth so special. Well, his daddy was 100 years old, and his mother was 90 
when he was born. I read recently the oldest mother on record gave birth at the age of 62. Some of you are past that already. And there was one report of a woman who was said to be 72 back in 1776 when her child was born. And yet, compared to Sarah, these women were just teenagers. Sarah was 90. And all through the chapter, Paul has been appealing to the faith of Abraham to prove his point that men are saved by faith. Now, he's going to tell us what kind of faith Abraham had. It was faith in the promise of the birth of Isaac. It was simply faith in what God said. God said it, and he believed it. It was his faith. came down to faith in God that brought salvation to Abraham. And there are lessons here that I think we can learn from this story concerning Abraham. And so as we finish up this chapter tonight, let's spend some time talking about what faith is. Notice, first of all, faith was well placed. Faith was well placed. Abraham's faith was well placed, and we see as this, as we look at this particular aspect, especially in verse 20 here, the direction of his faith. Verse 20 says, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. Simply means he did not waver. He believed without reservation in God's ability to keep his word. Now what was the promise anyway? Well, to answer that, we need only to turn back to the book of Genesis and see the promise of God to Abraham. If we go back to Genesis, and we look in Genesis chapter 12 to begin with, you'll notice there in chapter 12, beginning in 1, verses 1 through 3, we have verses here that uh, we're given that have a threefold promise of God to Abraham or Abram as he is called here in Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3. A moment there I thought somebody took it out of my Bible but here it is. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee all shall all families of the earth be blessed. Someone has said, this is the hub of the Bible. The rest of the scripture is just really unfolding a threefold promise here. First there was the promise of, uh, uh, promise of land. He says, I'm going to show you a land, and I'm going to give it to you. And then the second part of the promise is a nation. I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. He also promises them, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. The third part of the promise is that he will make him a blessing. So you have the land, you have the nation, and you have Abram as a blessing. That's God's threefold promise in chapter 12. 
Now, if you go on to chapter 13 and verse 14, you actually have the third appearance of God to this man Abram. And here we see the land that God is going to give him. As God continued to appear to Abram, and later on to the other patriarchs, God put boundaries around the land. In other words, he put a border to it and told them exactly where the land was, and he was very specific about it. He doesn't deal with that which is theoretical. God deals with that which is actual and real. And so that's what we have in verse 14. In verses 15 and 16, notice what God does for this man. He says, and he divided himself against them, and he and his servants... Uh, wrong chapter. Uh, let's try chapter 13. Uh, verse 15. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number of the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed be numbered. God, again, labels the land, tells Abram that he's in it. He also confirms the fact that Abram is going to have a tremendous offspring. In verses 17 and 18, we find here Abram is quite an altar builder. And you can always tell where Abram had been because he left a testimony. He left a, a testimony. You know, man left footprints on the moon many years ago, but uh, uh, they also put a flag up there and they had the little motto, We have come in peace. But they didn't leave the Bible, the Word of God. And that re reveals the difference between the thinking of Abram and the thinking of the age in which we live in. The important thing is Abram was an altar to the Lord, and that's exactly what he built. Notice the names Mamre, and in verse 18, the plain of Mamre means richness, and the word name Hebron, which means communion. Now that's a good place to dwell. It's a wonderful place to dwell. In the riches of Christ Jesus and with sweet communion with Him. Now if you go on in, to chapter 15 and verse 2 and 3 you notice these verse, verses that Abram is saying to God I don't want more riches. I don't need that. The thing that's on my heart is that I'm childless and I want a son. Now you've promised to make me the father of many nations, and my offspring will be the numberless as the sand on the seashore, but you know what? I don't have a son. And then in verse 4, God very is very practical when a man will be practical with him, and he says, I'm going to give you a son. Verse 4, this shall be, not be thine heir, but he shall come forth out of thine own bowels, shall that he be thine heir. Then notice verse 5. This is remarkable. First God said to him that his offspring would be numberless as the sand on the seashore. Now he says they will be numberless as the stars in heaven. Abram could not number the stars. He could see approximately 4,000 maybe. There are probably over 50,000 in that area where he was looking. And he couldn't number his offspring, and you can't do it today. I was just 
watching a little uh, video here uh, the other day about the stars and how many millions and billions of stars there are. We can't number them. God can. He even knows the names of them. But he's God. And then in verse 6 of chapter 15 here, it says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it for him, counted it to him for righteousness. One of the greatest statements of Scripture. And what this means is Abram said, Amen to God. God had said, I will do this for you. And Abram says to God, I believe you. Amen. I believe it. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Now this is what Paul is referring to back in the study of Romans here. Abraham just believed God. He just accepted what God said and he believed God. This is the way you get saved. To believe that God has done something for you, that Christ dies for you uh, and rose again. God will declare you righteous by simply accepting Christ. We see the great truth in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, where it says, Even as Abram, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. The faith which Abraham had made him faithful to God, but he was not saved by being faithful. He was saying, uh, saved by believing God. And that's important, I believe, for us to see here. Now, we go back to Genesis, and we get to down to chapter 17. In chapter 17, verses 15 through 22, we won't take time to read that entire passage there, but here, Sarai becomes Sarah, and if old Abraham is going to be the father of nations, then Sarah is going to have to be the mother of nations. But you see here that in verse 17 of chapter 17, Abraham laughed. Verse 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? Now it's not clear here whether this is a laughter of unbelief. It well could be, but it could also be the laughter of sheer joy. And I'm sure that Perhaps you've had that experience. Something happened and you just had to laugh about it because it was a wonderful thing. You just filled your heart with joy. Every now and then in our lives, God does something for us so wonderful that we just feel like laughing about it, don't we? Not in, in mocking or not in, in disrespect, but just a laughter of joy. Now, there's one last passage here in Genesis, and that's in chapter 21. And chapter 21 and verses 1 through 8, we have the birth of Isaac. Now, you'll notice that there is a very striking similarity between the birth of Isaac and the birth of Christ. 
Wow, you didn't know this was going to be a Christmas message, did you? But here it is. I believe that the birth of Isaac was given to us to set before us this great truth before Christ came. Isaac was born at the set time that God had promised, even as Paul says in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. And when these verses are taken as a whole, they teach us an incredible truth of God supernaturally causing Abraham and Sarah to have a son named Isaac. Basically, Abraham directed his faith toward God even when it seemed that what he had been promised was totally impossible. And that's the bottom line. It boils down to whether or not you believe God. Whether it's in salvation or any other area of life, the results of your faith will always be determined by the direction of your faith. The direction of your faith. Faith that is placed in God is faith that will always be rewarded. So we've looked at the direction of his faith. Notice, secondly, the duration of his faith. In, go back to Romans uh, chapter 4 and verse 18. Romans chapter 4 and verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. When the promise was given first to Abraham, he was 75 years old. Even then, he must have, it must have seemed, seemed impossible. And yet, when the promise was last confirmed in chapter 17, Abraham was 99 years old, or verse 17, uh, uh, it must have been uh, really looked impossible by then. Yet his faith didn't waver, and the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God. The word is in the tense that suggests that he believed God when he received the promise and he kept on believing until the promise was fulfilled. That's the kind of faith that sees mountains moved. Now let me encourage some of you who are waiting on the Lord to move in your life. He hasn't forgotten you. If he has made you a promise, then you can count on that promise being fulfilled in his time. Don't give up. Don't despair. But trust in the Lord. So we see the duration. It started out when he was 75, and then he's almost 100. He's 99. So it took a while. But he didn't give up. Notice, thirdly, the determination of his faith. We see this in verses 18 through 20. There are three truths here revealed about the faith of Abraham that serve as an encouragement to those who must live their lives in dependence upon the Lord. Number one, he refused to listen to reason. He refused to listen to reason. Verse 18 again says, hoped against hope. Abraham had to have had his eyes on one greater than himself. If his eyes were on the circumstances around him, then he had every reason to doubt that the promise would be fulfilled. And if any of us, if that was any of us, we would say things like, uh, well, I'm just too old. I can't do it anymore. You know, Sarah's all shriveled up like a prune. She's too old. 
We've tried to have a baby since we both were young. Why should it work now? Or we might say, I mean, it's a physical impossibility. Apparently, Abraham refused to dwell on those kind of comments. God had given him a promise, and that was enough for him. And that should be a lesson to us. He refused to listen to reason. Secondly, he refused to look at reality. Verse 19, he refused to look at his situation. His eyes were on a promise, and can you imagine this old couple as they prepared for the birth of their son? Verse 19, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Someone has given us a possible chronology of the 25 years between the time the promise was given and the promise was received. At age 76, he buys a crib. At age 78, he makes a list of possible boy names. At age 80, he orders a supply of super absorbent diapers. At 85, he goes hunting while Sarah's friend give her a baby shower. At age 86, he puts up wallpaper in the baby's room. At age 90, he subscribes to New Parent magazine. At age 93, he and Sarah start Lamaze classes. And then at age 96, he drives a practice run to the hospital. At 98, he packs a suitcase and sets it by the tent door. And at age 99, he scratches his head and says, I wonder if God was just kidding me. I don't know if that's really the chronology, but it's a possible one. Did he doubt? Well, I'm sure he did. Why do I say that? Because he was a man. He was a human, just like you and me. We have our doubts, don't we, from time to time. In Genesis 17 again, Abraham laughed when he heard the news that the baby would be born. Surely he and Sarah felt that the promise was more like a cruel joke being played on two old people to make them look stupid. Uh, No doubt, I think he did doubt. But he acted on his belief. Now, does that make sense? Faith is not 100% certainty. Faith is belief mixed with unbelief, but there's action taken on belief. When we fret, when we worry, the doubts win. That's not faith. When we trust God's word in spite of our doubts and act on it, that is faith. Abraham was a man who believed and doubted at the same time, but he acted in faith. Now, how was his faith revealed? Well, his name was changed. His name in the beginning was Abram. This name means exalted father. And when he received the promise from God, he changed his name to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. Now, many probably thought he was being just a silly old man, but God saw it as an act of deepest faith. He was acting upon his faith. So much so that he would change his name from exalted father to father of a multitude. No doubt he had his doubts, but he did not let them sidetrack him. He kept on for God and won the victory. So what does that say to us? Faith is a battle. 
Faith is a struggle. There will be doubts. There will be times when we feel like giving up. But real faith never gives up. It always rests in the knowledge that God will do exactly what he promised to do. But then thirdly, he refused to lose the reward. Again, verse 20, we see here that Abraham lived for 25 years with the knowledge that one day God would give him and Sarah a child. He knew it, and he, yet he refused to let go of that truth. He obtained that promise because he responded to God's promise with the attitude of faith. Now, I don't know what you need from the Lord even this evening. But if you have his promise in the matter, then I challenge you to act in faith. We need to learn what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Learn that. Nothing pleases the Lord. Nothing else pleases the Lord. Hebrews 11.6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. We need to learn that anything less than the faith is sin. He, uh, Romans 14, 23, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So after these lessons are learned, simply take God at his word and hold on. So we've looked at Abraham's faith, well placed. Notice secondly, Abraham's faith is well pleased. First of all, we find it's pleased with God's promise, verse 21, and being fully persuaded what he had promised. I want you to look at those two words, fully persuaded. That means he was filled to the brim, no room for doubt, but his faith was pleased with the promises of God because he knew that they were as God, the God who made them. And what I see here is that man, a man who did not look for reasons to doubt God. Uh, he might have doubted God, but he didn't look for reasons. He simply took the Lord at his word and he praised God for the answer, even though it wasn't yet visible. That is faith and that pleases the Lord. God is as good as his word. You know, there used to be a day when a man's word was his bond. And people used to agree on things and shake hands, and they didn't break that contract. They kept their promises. Today you've got to have three or four lawyers to write out a contract before you can uh, trust someone. But here, the day is that day of... of someone's word being their bond is still here in reference to our Lord... He will do what he promised. So it pleased, he was pleased with God's promise. Secondly, he was pleased with God's performance. Second half of verse 21 says, He was able also to perform. He knew what God had promised to do. God was able to do. He did not look at the problem with one and downsized God with the other. He simply took the Lord at his word. He knew that if God said it would be, then God would see to it. That's why Abraham could take his teenage son, Isaac, to Mount Moriah later on, <clears throat> willingly offer him as a burnt offering before the Lord. He knew that 
Even as he did, God was able to raise him up again. Hebrews 11:17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and that he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And again, I'm telling you this evening that you can count on God. He's still able to move in power as he has always done before. He's still God this evening. And here's God's testimony of himself in Genesis 18 and verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Then thirdly, Abraham's faith was well pleased. He's pleased with God's plan, verse 22. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham's faith was well pleased with God because the Lord took the faith of his, this old man and credited it to his account in heaven with righteousness. If we'd put it another way, God saved the soul of Abraham because he took God at his word. God's plan for Abraham is still God's plan for us. He just wants us to take him at his word tonight and act on his promises. So Abraham's faith was well placed. Abraham's faith was well pleased. And thirdly, Abraham's faith was well preserved. First of all, we see it preserved as a promise in verse 23 and 24. Now it was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. We're told that the promise was not just to impute righteousness, but also, or for, for Abraham, but also for everyone who exercised faith. Not just any faith, but saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the great lesson here about salvation. Abraham acted on the light he had received, and he did, was declared righteous by God. He was saved by faith, just the same as any person in our day. And yet the object of our saving faith is different of that of Abraham. Salvation has always been by grace through faith, and yet Abraham took God at his word concerning the birth of Isaac, the future multitudes, and that every family on earth would be blessed, and God accepted it as saving faith. Abraham believed in the promises of God. For us to be saved, we have to react to the light that we've been given as well. And yet it's not enough just to believe in God or even his promises. The light we have received has been revealed that Jesus Christ is the way. If we're going to be saved, then it's not just merely faith, but faith in Christ, in Jesus and his sacrifice that saves our souls. And so he's pre preserved as a promise. Abraham's faith was well preserved. Secondly, it was preserved as a person. Verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Here's where it boils down to just one man, that is Jesus Christ. It is the central focus of every promise that has ever been given. He is the one through whom all nations of the world will be blessed. He is the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead. He is the one who paid our sin debt and rose from the dead 
to be our Savior. He is the focus of faith. If he is not, then faith is dead. Our faith stands on two great pillars of truth. They are Jesus died for our sins and he arose from the dead. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You notice in this passage that Abraham was justified actually by faith in the resurrection. Hey, that makes this an, this an Easter message too, doesn't it? We have Christmas and Easter all wrapped up into one. Go back to see what it says in verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. There's no merit in faith itself. You see, there's nothing around Abraham in which he could trust. He couldn't trust his own body. He couldn't trust in Sarah's body. There's nothing that he could feel, nothing he could see, nothing. All he did was believe God. He was not double-minded. That's the whole thought here. He looked away from his circumstances to the promise. He believed the promise. He, in spite of the fact that the circumstances nullified it, he put confidence in the promise because of the one who gave it, thus giving worship to God. You see, man was created to glorify God, but disobedience, by disobedience, he did just the opposite. And so his faith was really in the resurrection, that is, life from the dead. And that's what God accepted from Abraham in lieu of his own righteousness, which he did not have. God declared Abraham righteous for his faith in the promise that God would raise up a son out of the tomb of death, that is, the womb of Sarah. God promises eternal life to those who believe that he raised up his own son from the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, the place of death. Well, if you can believe this and can place totally your faith in those truths, then you can be saved. And I know that many, if not all of you, have done that. So we've seen Abraham's faith was well-placed, was well-pleased, was well-preserved. What about our faith tonight? With all the, the honesty that your heart can possess, can you truly say tonight that you've trusted Jesus Christ alone for your soul's salvation? Paul's conclusion in this section of the scripture makes it clear that nothing else, no one else will work Salvation comes through saving faith in Christ Jesus. Abraham was believed and he was saved. It wasn't his works. It wasn't the law. It wasn't circumcision. It was faith then and it's faith now. Let's pray. Father in heaven.